Thank you, Wendy. Uh, good morning. My name is Andrew. I don't know if I said that before, but I'm, I'm the campus pastor here at the Leewood campus of Christ Community. And uh, it's Mother's Day. We've said that several times now. Hopefully that's sunk in. Uh, and we thought just in light of, in light of that, in light of our, our scripture this morning, that we would, we would start by addressing just a pretty a, a serious issue here in the U.S. In, in the last few years. There's a lot going on in the country right now, but I don't want us to get distracted uh, from what's uh, really important. And, and rather than just trying to describe this here, we, we've, we found this news clip we wanted to show you. So uh, let's, let's watch that. Americans everywhere are enjoying their Sundays after successfully completing Mother's Day in less than 20 minutes this morning. Dads were able to wrap up breakfast in bed by 9.18 a.m., giving them plenty of time to mill about the garage for the rest of the afternoon. While children who spent a minute and a half this morning hugging their mothers are currently out playing street hockey. And after completely fulfilling their Mother's Day obligations with a store-bought card, teens are now free to leave and spend the day with their friends. The moms, who were quickly and efficiently lavished with cards, flowers, assurances of love, and seven full minutes of family togetherness, praised the competency with which the holiday was carried out. Oh, it was, it was great. Charles and the kids made me feel completely appreciated, but they ended the holiday before I even got out of bed. Guess I'll go water the plants now. But before the day-long celebration concluded early this morning, moms had their own job to do, making a brief obligatory phone call to their own mothers. Come, I mean, come on, right? You, you had to know. You had to know I wasn't going to be serious there. I, uh, like, I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. Uh, I promise we'll get to the Bible after that. Uh, my favorite part of that clip, by the way, the ticker below says, nation hopes to avoid celebrating Father's Day altogether. That's what it says at the, <laughs> at the bottom. I will say this, though. Maybe I'm the only one, but I will say this. This week, I, I really did think and feel like, man, we are too busy this weekend to celebrate Mother's Day well. And what a sad thought. Uh, too busy, too tired to celebrate. And, and, and that really is a cultural problem that we have. And, and Tom talked a little bit about this last week, uh, but there are several ways in which uh, we are the most exhausted society in history. Now, we may not be the busiest society, but we are, we are very weary. And James Smith, he's a Christian author. He wrote a book called The Good and Beautiful God. He observed that, he observed this, I think he's right, that the number one obstacle to spiritual formation, so the number one obstacle to people who follow Jesus becoming more like him is exhaustion. And he goes on to say uh, how in 1850, the uh, average American slept nine and a half hours a night. By 1950, that had dropped to eight hours. Uh, and today, as of I think 2013, the average American sleeps under seven hours a night. And that number just continues to drop. And our sleep is really just symptomatic of a larger problem because we are not just physically tired. We are emotionally and spiritually weary. And the things that we turn to to medicate that, the fourth cup of coffee, the afternoon candy, the TV remote, the uh, smartphone screen are, are so rarely the things that will make us untired. We are exhausted but we have no idea what rest really is. And this, by the way, is not a uniquely modern problem. It may have gotten worse with modern people, but human beings in general, we have never really been good at true rest. 
So it should not come as a surprise to us that Jesus is once again talking about rest this morning. And if you were here last week, in chapter 11, Jesus invited all of us into his yoke of rest, but that wasn't enough. He's got to still show us what that rest really is and what that rest really is not. And there are several principles here I want, to, I want us to hear and to, and to see in this text uh, if we ever really want to live a life, experience a life of rest, we need these. So if you haven't turned to Matthew 12 yet, do that now. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, chapter 12. We just heard this read, so I'm going to set the stage for the story for you one more time. Okay, Jesus and his disciples in chapter 12 are, are basically on an afternoon, a Saturday afternoon stroll in Galilee, and they get hungry. And so they're, they're, they're walking around the edge of a grain field. They reach and grab some grain, and they begin to eat as they walk by. And this was not stealing. In the, in the Old Testament, there were provisions for allowing people to do just that, especially the, the poor. You were, not to, you were not to harvest all the way to the edge of your field, to leave it for passers-by like this, especially those without means, which Jesus and his disciples, as itinerant preachers, were not of great means. So as they're doing this, okay, that's the, that's the, the beginning. As they're doing this, it's like so, out, of all, <laughs> out of the blue, all of a sudden, the Pharisees pop up. And they say, ha, we knew it, you heathen. And I have no idea what they're doing there. I, I don't know. I don't, it's like they're following Jesus around behind trees and rocks, just, wait, not, like he, just waiting for him to trip up. I, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, they've been following him, and now they pounce. So what are they so upset about? Well, if you didn't know, Saturday is the Sabbath day. And literally what they say to him is, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. So what, what do they mean by unlawful? Well, the Old Testament itself, uh, specifically the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, it describes the Sabbath day as a day of rest. We'll get to why that is in just a minute. But the Torah did not really get specific on what was and was not allowed to do on the Sabbath, on the day of rest. And so the Pharisees, along with many others, uh, in the rabbinical tradition, debated endlessly and to the minutest of detail what was and was not allowed <clears throat> on a Sabbath day. And all that teaching, all that conversation, all that commentary, all those rules about rules were collected and they were called the halakha. And one of those rules said, you cannot reap, you cannot harvest on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees are basically saying, look, Jesus, Article 2, Section 3.5, Line 8a, you are in violation of Sabbath Rule number 1542. Gotcha. Now, to be fair, Sabbath violation was a very big deal in the Old Testament. There are stories of people being put to death for violating the Sabbath. Uh, the prophets would often point to the Sabbath in their critique of Israel and say, you've stopped observing the Sabbath. And that's a sign that you've drifted from God. You don't trust him with your finances. You keep working seven days a week because you don't trust him. So I, I don't want us to miss where the Pharisees are coming from. But this little story is such a great summary of the Pharisaical approach to spirituality, to life, to rest, and to God. There was such a fear around violating the Sabbath law that the Pharisees and the people that they taught lost altogether what Sabbath truly was. 
And it was no longer life-giving. It was exhausting. In chapter 11, when Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, this is what he is talking about. That is why Matthew puts these stories side by side. The weary and heavy laden life, this is it. And there is, is a way to be Christian today. There is a way to follow Jesus today that is, that is really just a pharisaical approach to him. There is a way to approach God and the rest that he offers you, the life that he offers you with the question, but what do I have to do? What do I have to do? Love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? Is it my street? Is it my city? Is it my zip code? Is it my next door neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Keep the Sabbath day holy. Well, what do I have to do on the Sabbath? What can I not do on the Sabbath? We can, we can be little Pharisees. We can make God's law and Christ's commands and the whole Bible into a rule book so that we can justify ourselves and our lives and our obedience in front of other people. Okay, that is the pharisaical approach. Even your rest becomes work. Even your Sabbath is self-justification. Look, I'm obedient. I'm good. This makes me a good person. That makes me worthy. This is my identity now. And you're actually worse off than you were before. This is a, this is, that's a statement Jesus will make of the Pharisees all the time. You go and you convert people to your version of spirituality and they're worse off than they were before you met them. And I love the way Pastor Tim Keller puts this. He, he says, Jesus is offering you a rest from the work beneath the work. The work that makes you overwork. The work that makes you exhausted. The work that makes you a Pharisee. And you really see it in, in Jesus' response. He says, basically, have you not read about David? Have you not read about the temple? Don't you know your Bible? You've missed the forest for the trees. And he, and he points to these stories. And in each one, the Sabbath law is superseded by something bigger and something more important that was at stake. So David, God's chosen servant and king, he needed food so that he, he was able to get food from on a Sabbath day. The temple, the symbol of God's unique presence in the world, the temple needed to be maintained. And so the priests were able to work on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, basically, after both stories, something greater than David, something greater than the temple is here in front of you now and you can't see it. The rest that you want, the rest you've always wanted, the rest that you teach people to run after is in front of you. So what is the Sabbath? It's the day God rested and delighted in his good creation. It's the promise from God to Israel in the Exodus when they were freed from slavery in Egypt that they would not be slaves again because only slaves work every day. It has always pointed to something bigger something beyond itself. And Jesus says, look, you think Sabbath is a day. It's not a day. It's a person. He says, the son of man, in verse eight, is Lord of the Sabbath. Not just Lord over the Sabbath. He's not saying I define Sabbath. He's saying I am the Sabbath. Rest is not a day, it's a person. And this whole theme of Sabbath in the Bible from beginning to end is about Jesus. That's what, that's what he's saying. He says, David's not about David. The temple is not about the temple. The Sabbath is not about the Sabbath. They all prepare the way for me. I'm the rest you need. Rest is Jesus. And that means that without Jesus, you cannot rest. 
no amount of vacation or naps or Sabbaths or summer breaks or date nights or Mother's Days in the world can give you the rest you need if you do not follow him. No amount of promotions or successes or accolades or Facebook likes or romantic relationships can give you the satisfaction that you crave if you are not in love with him first because all of those things, all of those things, whether you're a first century Jewish Pharisee or a 21st century American high school student, all of these things will become a means to justify your life, your work, your relationships, your grades, your integrity, your character, they will become a means to an end, but they do not work. And it's exhausting. And there is always work beneath your work. If you aren't rooted in Jesus and what he says about you, what he thinks about you, what he's done for you. So Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he said, you cannot understand rest until you've embraced me. And he's looking at us today and he's saying the same thing. So what is your work beneath your work for you? What is it for you? What's your life, <clears throat> excuse me, what is your life hanging on right now? What keeps you up at night? If I lose this, it's over, I'm done. What is it that if I just had that, when I get that, I can rest, I'll be done. My hunch is that for many of us, we could keep asking those questions. My, my hunch is that for many of us, not, not maybe all of us, but for many of us, we see our work beneath the work primarily in our inability to slow down. We cannot stop. We cannot be in the moment with God. We cannot take time for reflection on his word every day. It's not even that we're overworking. It, it might be that. It's that we're just busy, just busy. We're busy at work, we're busy at home, we're busy at night, we're busy in the morning. You ask someone how they're doing, they say, I'm busy. And sometimes I wonder if we're so busy because we feel like if we actually had downtime, if we actually had the time to rest and reflect and just be in the moment, we would feel like failures at life. We've bought into this idea every, sometimes that being busy means being important and being successful. And we begin to even parent that way. My children have got to be busy. Our family's got to be busy. We've got to be busy to look good to the world. If they're doing it, we've got to do it. Now, no, now don't miss this. For the Pharisees, the work beneath the work was looking good to the world by being extra obedient. I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. I wonder if ours is looking good by being busy. We can't say no. Not because what's being offered is so good, but because every time we're offered something to do, our, our identity and our value are at stake. And either way, we forget what Sabbath is. It's not a day to recoup. After, and then as we prepare to dive into a frenzied, hurried week. Now, I can't imagine rest without a day off, but the Sabbath is not primarily a day to recoup to dive back into the frenzy of your life. The Sabbath is about freedom from slavery. Slavery to our own need to justify ourselves. Jesus says, come to me. My opinion, my voice, my direction is what matters most. Only I can free you from slavery. Only I can give you rest. 
And we have seriously misunderstood rest if we fail to remember that rest is a person. But that's not our only problem with rest. In the grain field, you'll notice this isn't the only place Jesus has to talk about this. So look back at chapter 12, verse 9. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. So the Pharisees are not satisfied with Jesus' answer. And so now they see him in the synagogue and they, they find a guy with a withered hand and now they, they're, now they point to the misery of a human being, a guy with a withered hand in a, in a labor economy, okay, an unusable hand. And they point to his misery and say, Jesus, answer our question so we can make you look bad, right? Which is, stay classy, Pharisees. And, and their question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, Sound, probably sounds weird to us, but it's not an uncommon one for the day. Okay, there was, there was significant teaching again in the halakha around this, what was permissible in this regard. And the standard teaching, as far as we can tell, though there was still debate, the standard teaching was that if the illness or the wound was not life-threatening, it could wait until Sunday. So on the one hand, this is not an unusual theological question for the day. That was kind of like the, the abstract white, the ivory tower question about the Sabbath. On the other hand, this is the most depressing question ever, isn't it? God, is it okay if I help people on your holy day? It's like, what? Do you know anything about him? And so Jesus comes back and he says to them, you think, you think it's okay? Let me get this straight. I've read your rules, says Jesus. I've read your rules. You think it's okay to rescue an animal on the Sabbath, right? Right. How much more valuable is this man to God than your livestock? And he tells the guy, stretch out your hand. And his hand isn't just healed. There's a different Greek word here. It is completely restored, just like the other. He's whole. And this is important because, again, Jesus is challenging this pharisaical approach to Sabbath rest. Remember with me, the first rest, the first Sabbath the world ever experienced was in Genesis 2, when God rested from his work, when he created everything. And Tom pointed this out last week. This first rest that that, that really will define the Sabbath was not about fatigue. God was not tired. It wasn't about rules. It wasn't about a moral law. It was about delight. When God finished making everything, he said, this is very good. And he delighted in it. And I can just picture Jesus in this moment slapping his forehead. Is it it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day? The Sabbath is about making all things good. That's what it is. It's about restoring God's world to how he designed it in the beginning. And, And in Mark, Jesus puts it another way. He says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Rest is not a rule. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift to a broken and restless world and to broken and restless people. Sabbath is about restoration. Sabbath is not about doing nothing. Sabbath is about doing good. And this is such a radical break for the Pharisees from their approach to Sabbath that now you'll notice if you look, they plot to kill him. This is the moment. 
We have not seen that before in the book of Matthew. Now they get together and say, this guy is too dangerous. We need to kill him. Why? Well, you've got to think about the implications here. This is a redefining of Sabbath. Jesus is basically saying, my presence, my mission, completely changes what you think of Sabbath and rest. Just as Jesus, right, replaces the temple, there's no temple anymore for Christians. We don't worship at a temple. Jesus replaces the temple because all space is sacred to God. There's no sacred, all space is sacred. Just like that, Jesus says, I replace the Sabbath. I am the Sabbath because all time is sacred to God. Every day and everything you do is sacred to him. And when you do good, when you're on God's mission of restoration with him on whatever day of the week, you are practicing Sabbath. See, there's a reason that the early church in Paul's letters, he never talks about observing the Sabbath. Not one time. Never. There's a reason the early church did not worship on Saturday, but on Sunday. Which in the pagan world, we often forget this, in the pagan and Jewish world, Sunday is a work day. There's nothing special about Sunday. It's not because for the Christians that, that, that no day was Sabbath, or that Sunday was the new Sabbath, or that Saturday was the old Sabbath. It's that every day was Sabbath. There's a reason that the new creation, when God makes all things new, the perfect Sabbath. But the picture there is not in the book of Revelation that we sit around doing nothing, but that we're doing good and nothing but good for all eternity. And that is a radical new definition of rest, not just for the Pharisees, but for us. We think, when we think rest, we think vacation. We think it's a weekend, it's a retirement It's a one-off thing. It's not the norm. There's work and there's rest. There's joy and there's my job. There's fun and there's real life. That's how we think of it. When you follow Jesus, everything you do, everything you do can be Sabbath. There is a Sabbath rest even in the parts of your life that look like drudgery to everyone around you. There's rest in your nine-to-five job because God is using you there to do good. And I, I was recently talking with someone who had just become a Christian. And part of her story was that, that what, what kind of drew her in was this coworker that she had who was, who was a believer. And, she, and here's basically what she said about that experience. She said, I, th- I mean, I, I, I thought it was weird when I would see him on his break and on lunch, reading his Bible and praying sometimes. You know, that, that intrigued me. It was kind of strange. But he said, but what really blew me away was even at work, Even at his desk, he had a joy and a peace and a contentment that no one else had. What does that mean? It means that even at work, he was at rest. That is the gift of Sabbath. It's a gift for Christians, for those who follow Christ. It's a gift to the world because we bring the Sabbath restoration into the broken world. That's our job. Now, there's a danger here in talking about Sabbath this way because this can easily become an excuse to overwork and to be overbusy. So I want us to wrestle with a question here. And I know, I know everyone is busy. Every, all of our schedules are pretty much maxed out, I know. But in our busyness, here's the question. Are we doing good or are we just doing stuff? We're all busy. We're all tired. But is the problem that we're doing too much stuff and not enough good? And David Brooks, he writes for the New York Times. He he has a great diagnostic for this that I found so helpful. He wrote an article called, Are You As Busy As You Think? 
And I'm going to quote him because I can't do it justice, so I'm just going to quote him. He says, instead of saying, I don't have time, try saying, it's not a priority, and see how that feels. Often that's a perfectly adequate explanation. I have time to iron my sheets, but I don't want to. (laughs) But other things are harder. Try it. I'm not going to edit your resume, honey, because it's not a priority. I don't go to the doctor because my health is not a priority. If these phrases don't sit well, that's the point. Changing our language reminds us that time is a choice. If we don't like how we're spending an hour, we can choose differently. I see, and I wonder if part of the reason we feel restless, it might it be that we aren't choosing the good that God has for us. Are we filling our time with things that aren't important and aren't fulfilling and aren't Sabbath? There are endless distractions and voices vying for our time and our calendar all the time, and yet Jesus' offer still stands. He says, it is lawful, it is restful to do good on the Sabbath. And here's the real point, okay? Here's, here's maybe a better way of describing this dynamic. There's a way to be very busy, very busy, but not very fruitful. And there's a way to be not busy, to have a free and clear schedule, and to not be at rest at all. Neither of these are Sabbath. When we trust the Lord of Sabbath and accept his gift, it gives you a rest in every part of your life, not just a day, not just a week, every part. But how? How does it do that? Well, that's really our last point. Matthew only hints at this here. This is a theme he'll develop throughout the rest of the book, but it's the key to the whole thing. In verse 15, it says that Jesus withdrew to avoid confrontation with the Pharisees. He knows what they're plotting. He knows this is happening. His time has not yet come, so he withdraws. But he heals everyone, and he tells them not to make him known yet. And then Matthew quotes Isaiah 42. He says, Behold my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry loud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, A smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Now part of what Matthew is doing in quoting Isaiah here is he's explaining, see Isaiah predicted that Jesus would have this gentleness, this meekness, this this non-confrontational posture. He, He withdraws from the Pharisees even though he's right. That's part of it. But this is also, this text is also the first in Isaiah of what are called the suffering servant texts. Have you heard of that before? The suffering servant. The most famous one, the one you've probably heard, is Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Suffering servant. What is Matthew saying? I think, it's, I think he's saying something profound. I think he's saying to truly rest, you don't need a teacher, you need a suffering servant. You cannot rest until Jesus dies for you. In other words, true rest is not good advice. It's good news. We can't rest because there's something in us that knows we are not right. 
We are not enough. I need a resume. I need an accomplishment. I need a distraction. There's an inner murmur in every one of us of self-reproach that drives us to be a Pharisee, to define what the good life is and to do everything we can to live up to that, to justify ourselves. And we never measure up, do we? And you know what? That we're right. We're right. We aren't enough on our own. We shouldn't rest. We've only got a few moments in this life to justify our existence. And if we blow it, it's over. That's it. And so we try to find all the good advice we can get, don't we? And boy, do we have access to a lot of good advice. Here's, the, here's how to work more efficiently. Here's how to vacation successfully. That's depressing, isn't it? <laughs> here's how to be successful in your job. Here's how to land the job of your dreams if you don't have it. Here's how you find your soulmate. Here's how you be the perfect mom or dad or whatever. Here's how you should really rest. Here's yoga. Here's meditation. Here's the exercise you need. All of that stuff is just advice. And no amount of advice will give you the rest that you want. So what you need, what I need, is good news. What we need is someone who is enough. What we need is someone, not another thing to do, but something done on our behalf. What you need is someone to look down from the cross and to say over your life, it is finished. What you need is the verdict over your life. Not then, but now. You need it now. You need, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. That's what we need. And that's what we need to tell ourselves when we can't turn off the email, when our GPA slips because school is really hard, when our kids aren't measuring up to whatever standard we have put on them, when we're tempted to be slaves again to the opinions of the world, we need a Savior who sits down, as the author of Hebrews says, who sits down at the right hand of the Father because his work is done. And if his work is done, then your work is done and my work is done. The Sabbath is not a day, it's a life. It's a life offered to you. And it can be your life if you want it, if you choose it. Come to me and I will give you rest. Let us pray. Father, may we grow to love and trust your son, Jesus, the Lord of Sabbath. May we accept your Sabbath every day as a gift of grace and not as a means to justify ourselves. And may the good news of the cross still that inner murmur of self-reproach in our souls. When you look at us who have trusted in Jesus, you see him. And that is all the rest we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.